Well, I'm kind of rearranging some boxes up here. We've used these boxes as a metaphor for priorities in our lives. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here of Centerpoint Fellowship Church, and we are uh, in the middle of a series entitled, It's All About Relationships. If you need a pen to fill out the outline that's inside your bulletin, uh, just raise your hand. The ushers have come forward, and they'll be glad to pass one to you. But today, we're talking about, in relationships, we've covered a relationship with God last week, and this week, we're talking about relationships with our spouse. We started this whole series using these boxes, uh, and just to remind you where, why we use them is when you and I move to a new location, we have moving boxes, and we put all our stuff in them, we label them. The problem is, is that you get to the new house or the new apartment, and you unload the boxes, and the thing you need in the kitchen is in the bedroom, and something else is in the garage, and you can't find it. And when you get things out of order, it really complicates life. And we get relationships out of order things really get in a mess because we can start valuing our house or our car or our work more than our spouse. And next thing we know, we're in a lot of trouble. And this morning, I want to talk with you about the importance of relationship, relationships with our spouses. Now, if you're not married and you can say, well, I'm not married. Well, if you want to be married one day uh, and, and that's a desire of your heart, this is, this is some important information to know. If you've been through a broken marriage where some things have really been hurtful and wrong, this may help you understand some of the things you went through. And if you're currently in a relationship, uh, in a marriage relationship, hopefully this will challenge all of us and help us focus on what we need to do to make our relationship with our spouses a priority. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice, and we need guidance on marriage in our culture. Lord, we are way too quick to give up on marriage, and we are uh, we are confused about many of the things your word teaches us about putting marriages in the proper perspective. So today I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way and teach us how to strengthen our relationship with our spouses. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Top of your outline, point one is this. And by the way, that message just entitled, My Relationship with My Spouse. And uh, I'd love for you to jump online. You can even download podcasts for any of the messages you missed in this series. Um, but uh, the point one is this, that God is the one who came up with the idea of marriage. This is why we do marriages in the church. We believe God's the one who came up with the idea of marriage. It was his idea in the first place. Page one of the Bible, Genesis 1:27. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself, male and female. He created them. God was the one who came up with the idea of male and female. That's page one. Page two, Of the Bible, God says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. If you could circle or underline the word suitable. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed it up, closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he'd taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, wow. No, the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. What's important to understand here is the note that's in your outline next. God made men and women complementary, not identical. Complementary, just like left and right hands. We have complementary hands. You can say, well, no, our hands are identical. Well, no, they're not. In some ways, our hands are exactly opposite each other. And it's the same way it is with male and female relationships. In some ways, we think a lot alike. In some ways, we think completely differently. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, amen. Well, that's what it means to be complimentary. But 
a lot of frustration comes in in marriage because we refuse to acknowledge this. In fact, we spend the whole time trying to make the other person think exactly like we do. And God wants us to be complimentary. Uh, that great theologian, Rocky Balboa, uh, pointed this out in the original Rocky. Now, I don't know. There's like nine Rockies now. But I'm talking about the original one where he was a, a guy who had a once-in-a-lifetime shot to uh, work out and actually participate in a fight to become the heavyweight champion of the world. And he was working out in a meat locker. Uh, a friend of his, Paulie, worked in a meat locker and let him come and break the ribs on some of these sides of beef. And so he was working out one day in the meat locker, and Paulie has a sister named Adrian. And she was somewhat homely and very shy, and he never could figure out what Rocky saw in his sister. And he brings it up one day in the movie. He goes, Rocky, what do you see in my sister? I don't get it. What do you see in Adrian? And Rocky goes, Adrian? What do I see in Adrian? I'm trying to do my best Rocky here. You got to get into it. What do I see in Adrian? Adrian's got gaps. And he goes, gaps? What's gaps? He goes, I got gaps. She got gaps. Together we got no gaps. <laughs> and what he was saying was, all right, translation, Adrian had gaps, things in her life that needed to be filled. Rocky had gaps in his life, things that needed to be filled. But when you put them together, they met each other's needs. They got no gaps. Now, if you understand that, you understand why God made us complementary, not identical. And this is why Christians have believed all through the centuries that marriage is to be reserved between one man and one woman. That we are complementary. God did not give us two left hands or two right hands. He gave us a left and a right. God made us that way. And God made marriage to be between a man and a woman for a lifetime to fill each other's gaps. And this is important that, we, that you understand this because everything else we say today stems from this, that there are differences between men and women. And I know in our culture today we downplay this and there's just people and there's no difference between the way women think and men think, and that's just silly. And it's ridiculous. And the Bible acknowledges this difference. In fact, the Bible says God made us that way on purpose so that we could love each other and complement each other and fill each other's gaps. Now, in order for that to work, then that brings us to point two. Healthy marriages are going to take time and effort so that we understand each other and know how to fill those gaps and meet each other's needs. And that brings up a couple of interesting points. And we have to clarify this, too, because our culture gets this wrong as well. A, we need to understand that love is a choice. You can put it off to the side, more than a feeling. Love is indeed a feeling. Feelings are associated with love. And no one's going to deny that when you first meet someone, you fall head over heels in love with them. When you're falling in love, there's a great period of infatuation and butterflies and goosebumps and skyrockets or whatever else you want to put in there. Okay, and it's great and it's wonderful. But love goes beyond that. Because love is a choice. And when you love someone, the love stays even when the goosebumps and the butterflies and the skyrockets aren't there anymore. And the Bible's clear on this too. Here's how the Bible defines love. Love is patient and love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That sounds like a choice to me. 
In our culture, we talk about love only in the infatuation stage. Like love is a giant mud puddle. And I fall into it one day, now I'm in love. And then when I dry off, oh, now I'm not in love. And there's nothing I can do about it. Well, there's a lot you can do about it. We can choose to love. In fact, elsewhere in the New Testament in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says, Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they're doing. That's what love is. It's, love is something you give away. It's choosing to put the other person's needs ahead of your own. And my goodness, how important that is to marriage. Because as I said, on some ways we think completely in opposite directions. And it's so tempting to get defensive and demand the other person meet our needs and forget all about meeting the needs of the person that God gave us to fill the gaps. And that brings us to point B. If love is a choice, then marriage is a commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. This is why when you have a Christian wedding ceremony, they remind you, and we do it in our premarital counseling here too, that, hey, we're going to remind you that marriage is for better and for worse, for richer and for poorer, for sickness and in health. Because the goosebumps won't last. And the butterflies won't stay there forever. And if you read enough novels and if you watch enough movies, you're going to say, hey, that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to ride off in the sunset and never have any problems. Nonsense. Nonsense. There's not a real couple you know of that's like that anywhere. And that's why Christians have always said, hey, now if you're going to make this work long term, you need to make some commitments precisely because those feelings won't endure. Yet in our culture today, as soon as the feelings begin to diminish, we get out of the marriage and go get another one so we can get the feelings back. And never even realize, you know, if we'd invested in this, our love would mature and become something far superior than just butterflies. And that's what God wants for us. So I'm going to read you a passage from Ephesians 5 that talks about how to do this. And then I'm going to um, ask my wife to come up here and we're going to try to unpack some ideas on how we can actually live this out. But here's what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a message for Christians and I want you to understand this, and it, apply, it goes both ways. It cuts both ways for men and for women. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word submit is not popular in our culture today. Happiness is. If I'm not happy, something's wrong. And the Bible says, no, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There are some things worth investing in, and marriage is certainly one of them. And sometimes it's going to be hard to put the other person first. For richer or for poor, in sickness or in health, for better and for worse. Not just better, not just richer, not just when everything's going, when you're feeling great. These are commitments that are for a lifetime. For wives, Paul breaks it down. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. He's quoting the very passage we read just a minute ago. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. If you would underline that last sentence, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. The husband is to do everything he can to love his wife, even if it means dying for her. 
Because Christ died for the church. And the woman is to respect her husband. Now guess what the two things that we struggle with the most in the marriage relationship are? Men have a hard time figuring out how to love their wives, and women have a hard time respecting their husbands as they should. It's the way it's always been. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been written in Scripture that way. It doesn't say men respect your wives. Men get the respect thing down pretty easily. They like respect. They know how to show it to other men. The hard thing is to figure out how to love a woman. And for a lot of women, showing respect to their husband, especially when he isn't acting as he's supposed to do, that's almost impossible for them. And so guess what we need to pray about and we need to think about? Those two things. So there's a little diagram at the bottom of your page. I'm going to come back to that at the end, but I'd like you to flip your page over, and we're going to talk about 10 ways, 10 things that a wife can do to meet the needs of her husband, and 11 things that a husband can do to meet the needs of his wife. And I'm going to ask my wife, Debbie, to come up here uh, this morning uh, so we can talk about this together. But even as she's coming up, I'm going to jump right in and talk about the first thing, uh, and that's this, is that uh, for every woman here, if you want to know one thing you can do right away to help your marriage, the first thing would be that you can pray for your husband. And Debbie, why do you think that's an important step? I think prayer is um, critical in a marriage because, for one thing, it, it takes... It changes your perspective. Instead of focusing on how mad you are or how your husband irritated you, it, it makes you realize, okay, he's got needs, um, and I could pray for him. And you involve the Lord in the conversation, and that changes everything. And you know what's so interesting is, is that many people would even say, hey, the Scripture teaches us we need to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, and they'll be praying for their enemies, but they won't even be praying for their spouse. Well, that's just silly. And some people say, well, my spouse is my enemy, right? Okay, but anyway, that's a different issue. But the whole idea is, as we pray for each other, it changes them from being stubborn, insensitive monsters to being people who have needs. And especially if they're not doing what they should, what a great person to talk to, what a great resource, instead of fretting about it, saying, God, would you please bring this to my husband's attention? God, would you please change his attitude on this? God, would you show me how I can respect him through this? Because right now, I can't stand him. And if you talk to God that way, he'll hear your prayers. I mean, not to say you've ever prayed that way, but... Okay, she's not saying anything. Okay, we're moving on. All right. The second bullet point there is respectfully and creatively remind her husband of things without nagging or scolding. Now, this is huge. If you want to know how huge it is, I didn't have room for this reference, but you could write it in the side. This is from Proverbs twenty-seven, fifteen. A nagging wife is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. Trying to stop her complaints is like trying to stop the wind or hold something with greased hands. There are other proverbs that say it's better to live on the corner of a roof than live in a fine house with a nagging wife. And nagging means reminding of a husband about stuff with a tone. Arms crossed. Are you going to get around to this or not? How many times do I have to remind you? What? You, don't, you, don't, you can't remember anything? You want to crush a man? You want to make a man do anything? Anything except the thing you want them to do, women, that tone is the worst thing you can do. And to respectfully remind a husband of things would take some creativity. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. One woman I know, this was a big problem of hers, and when we sat down in their marriage, the husband was talking about how she was nagging, and she realized she had been. And, and so we brainstormed some, and what she would start to do is she'd leave a sticky note on his dashboard or on... Um, the steering wheel of his car and say, hey, would you please pick up the dry cleaning after work today? It would help me out a lot. I sure appreciate you. Have a great day. That's completely different than, are you going to forget the dry cleaning again? How many times do I have to remind you? 
The tone makes all the difference in the world. And that leads us to the next point. Believe the best about her husband and avoid negative criticism. Do you know how many times when I've met with couples, the husband will, the wife will complain because the husband's playing softball so much or he's working so many hours. He goes, I just don't know why he doesn't ever want to come home. And then the husband will say something like, well, you know, at my workplace, people ask my opinion. They say, hey, let's work together on something. I don't get yelled at. I don't get bossed around any place except in my house. The one place where his opinion is zero, it's automatically wrong, discounted, stupid, is home. Well, how come he doesn't want to come home? I mean, who doesn't want to come home to that? A place where you're automatically wrong always. And it hurts a lot, and it makes all the difference in the world if we really believe the best. And this is where prayer comes in, doesn't it? All I can think of is prayer, 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 prayer. You cannot do this without praying. I mean, it's, it's, it's so easy to focus on the things that aren't getting done. It's so easy to focus on the negative. And um, especially for us as women, when we're trying, we want our home to run efficiently and um, to be a, a nice place to live and clean and orderly. And um, that's not our natural instinct. And so you, you get in nagging mom mode and you start bossing everybody around, including your spouse. And if you're not praying about this, you know, God, as you pray for your spouse, what will happen is God will open up your eyes to what you're doing and your part um, in the marriage and what you need to change. And so um, you have to be praying about this. I don't know how you do this without prayer. The next point, next bullet point is to forgive or to let go of past offenses and refuse to bring them up again. Now, this doesn't mean things that haven't been dealt with. This is thing, these are things that have been dealt with. I think women a lot of times struggle with this more than men because women are better about being sensitive to things in the first place. Can we all agree with that? Or is that a well-kept secret? Women are more sensitive, okay? Uh, women are more sensitive than men across the board. Uh, that's just my observation on this. But also, I mean, a man can shift gears. I mean, my goodness, we can have an argument in the morning. I get to work, and by noon, I don't remember what we were talking about. And I come home that afternoon, think everything's fine, and man, you dirty dog, guns are blazing when I come in the door. <laughs> Woo, where'd that come from? I shifted gears. And sometimes, even when it I, takes me all day to remember the things I should have said that I didn't say. <laughs> yeah, we didn't put that one down. Anyway, um, but sometimes, even when past offenses have been forgiven, everybody worked it through, we thought we worked it through. Women can have long memories, and women can tie things together that man is clueless about. And she'll bring them up again and again. This is just like it was in 1997, June 5th, 3 p.m., okay? <laughs> Please don't do that, and that's really hard to work through. Clearly communicate expectations. Why is that important? Well, because, um, because most men don't pick up on expectations without a little help. And um, a most, lot of, help. Of, us, most of us as women know how we want things to go, and we have certain expectations in our minds of what we want it to look like and, and what we want the date to be and how we want to experience different things in our home. And because we um, complement each other and we're not alike, he doesn't know those things unless I tell them. And I have to get over the um, disappointment I have in, in explaining to him what my needs are or what my expectations are. Yeah, men are not mind readers. We're not even good at reading bold print, okay? <laughs> We're just not. So you may have to say things more than once for us to get on to, get the hang of it. I um, brought her flowers, some carnations, 
uh, when we first got married, and she expressed to me she didn't like them. My mom loved carnations, and everybody knows if your mom likes something, then your wife will like them too, right? Uh, okay, well, that's a big mistake, okay? And so she tried to give me the hint more than once, like, well, I really like these. These aren't my favorite and all these things. And finally, you had to just come out and say, I don't like these. Well, he knew something was wrong when he walked in the door with um, flowers for me, and I burst into tears yeah. because they were just ugly. They weren't at all what I liked. And I had tried nicely to explain to him the things that I did like, and he wasn't. To me, it, it made me feel like he wasn't listening to me. And so as a woman, I have to let go of... Um, we have to communicate, yeah. and I can't be caught up in, well, he should know that automatically. I have to uh, talk clearly and plainly multiple times for him to get it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, let's move on. Okay, anyway, um, I'm going to hit the control spending thing under the men's part, too, because it goes both ways. Let me skip down to the next blank there. Never disrespect your husband in public. This is one thing you can do. Please don't do this. You want to crush a man? Talk about how stupid his job is at a dinner party. Talk about the way he can never fix anything at a family gathering. Some men can handle it. Many men can't. Disrespect him publicly. Because to men, respect matters so much. As I said before, I mean, they love playing on a softball team where guys will tell them, good job. They love going to work and people will give them a bonus or a raise or they'll give them a, send out a memo. Hey, everybody congratulate Bob. He did a great job. They don't care about warm fuzzies and picture party pics, okay? That's not what really motivates them. And if you disrespect a man publicly, and you've hit him where it hurts. And uh, please don't do that, women. Also, wives, uh, women, you can help your husband by encouraging your husband to grow as an individual and providing time for him to build healthy male friendships. Encourage him. I mean, this is one of the big reasons why we want you to get in a connect group. Man, if you're in a connect group, that's where, you know, talk to one of the people who's wearing a red shirt. These are all connect group leaders. And the whole reason we want you in a connect group is you can find other guys. And, yeah, I mean, not everything will happen right at that meeting. But as you get into relationships with other couples, that's when guys are going to get a golf game together. They can go hunting together and just meet for coffee. And all of a sudden, they've got relationships in their lives that they really, really need. But that's going to take time. And then there's show physical affection. Why don't you come in on that one? I don't want to. Okay, all right. <laughs> Set her up for that one. Hey, look, men need physical affection. We're going to talk a little bit that women need romance, men need physical affection, and women, it matters a lot that your man knows that you desire him. It matters. It matters. And all too often, guys say, man, the last thing I feel like my wife is interested in is showing me any physical affection at all. We've got a mixed crowd in here with adults and kids, so I won't go further into that. But I don't think that's a shocker to anyone. That's a priority to men. But if you're in a marriage relationship, this is one of those areas where it's just so ironic that men struggle with giving romance to women that they need so much. And a lot of times married women struggle with giving physical affection to their husbands. And it's the very thing that just, you know, God made us complimentary to fill each other's gaps. And so we need to work on this. Now, finally... There are five magic words, and I just got these as a statement for men and a statement for women. This is just, Debbie and I put these lists together, by the way, from Bible studies we've been a part of, books we've read, our own personal experience. The phrase I'm about to quote to you is a phrase that I've heard over and over again. Husbands say, if my wife ever said this to me, I would faint or I would fall over dead. Here's the phrase, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. 
their husbands, they said, I haven't heard that in 20 years. I hear it from my boss. I hear it from the coach of our softball team. I never hear it at home. My opinion is disrespected. My views are thrown out. I never do anything right. If I do something right, all that happens is, well, it's about time. Man, just crushing the guy. And women, if you think I'm just being too hard on you, we're about to dig into the men here, okay? So turnabout's fair play. But please hear me on this. The men need to be built up. Men are more fragile than people think, aren't they? They are very fragile, and um, they desperately need respect. And women, if you are struggling in this area, um, ask God to open up your eyes to some of the things your husband does really well. Um, ask him to ask God to show you how you can compliment him and build him up and the things that you can tell him you're proud of. And, and he will, because it's, it's critical for your relationship if you want him to feel secure and if you want him to feel loved, that you respect him. Now let's shift to the other side of the ledger. And these are 11 things that a husband can do to meet the needs of his wife. First of all, guys, we can pray with our wives on a regular basis and lead in establishing biblical family values. Over and over again, women tell me, you know, I feel like I'm the only one who, we don't go to church unless I nag and push and pull. I just want my husband to step up and be in charge of some of this stuff of establishing values. I don't want to be the only one who stands for what's right and wants to lead us in a spiritual direction. A second bullet point, ensure that household chores are fairly distributed. When there are two incomes... And both people are working all day, even if the wife has a part-time job and has to take care of kids in the evening. A lot of times, Debbie, a lot of women, in addition to a full-time job, they feel an additional responsibility to make their home run smoothly, right? And I think God has made us that way. We have that nesting instinct. We want our home to be a a nice place, a happy place, and a a place that's orderly. And if you you work outside of your home, which the majority of women do now, um, it's difficult to come home and have that full responsibility on you without help and support and encouragement. Yeah, and husbands, if you want to communicate to your wives that you love them, jump in and make sure the household chores are distributed. Get the kids to help. You help. I mean, just sitting down, putting your feet up, saying, I've worked all day, give me a beer. And she's worked all day too? Well, next week we're talking about conflict resolution. We'll get to that, okay? But that's a good, them's fighting words right there. And It would help a lot if you're going to love your wife if you had worked on that one. Initiate meaningful family traditions and fun outings. Um, This matters to women. And I'm going to tie that to the next one. Plan frequent dates with his wife. Plan them. A lot of women spell romance, P-L-A-N. You've thought about this more than when we got in the car on date night and said, where do you want to go eat? Okay. Because she didn't fix me dinner. Yeah, (laughs) Wow, that would really be bad. Okay, but anyway, but the whole idea is, hey, have you thought about this? And, and guys, if we've put any time at all into just a flower in the middle of the week or a card or a note or taking time to arrange to go to a, get reservations at a restaurant she really likes or tickets to a show she really wants to see, a surprise every now and then does wonders. John, I think we have to remember um, on the first page of our outline it said that relationships take time and effort. So don't get angry when it takes time and effort. Um, You need to be willing to sacrifice some of the things that you want to do personally in order to meet the needs of your spouse. And it works both ways, but this is going to take sacrifice and time and effort. Yeah, and it's 
somehow, for some reason, it's easier when we're first dating to do this than when we've been married for a while. Maybe it's just the pressure and kids and everything else and it just gets harder. Uh, another statement there is keep his family financially sound and consults his wife on major expenditures. We had pretty much the same thing for the women controlling spending and consulting her husband on major expenditures. Money is just a huge fighting ground for a lot of people because what will happen is they'll start a secret bank account and stack away some cash so they can buy something without talking about it to their husband. Or they'll open a secret credit account so we can buy something without talking about it to our wife. Man, when you start keeping secrets, when you start keeping separate things, trust goes out the window. Without trust, the relationship really falters. And so please talk about major expenditures. Don't keep secrets in that area. Prepare a will and plan for the future. That adds to a woman's security. Frequently tell his wife. Guys, we can frequently tell our wives what we like about her in private and honor her in public. My goodness, this is huge. Opening the door, pulling out a chair, complimenting her and praising her. I mean, men hate to have their jobs run down. Women hate to have their homes attacked. And so if you stand up and say, yeah, you should have seen that casserole that my wife offered as a burnt offering the other night at our dinner time. It was horrible. Man, she's a terrible cook. Well, some women can handle that. A lot of women can't. And it was a number of years ago, we were at dinner with a couple where a guy was running down his wife just like that, talking about what a stupid decision she'd made. And he used that word of how stupid she'd been making this dumb decision. He just really ran her into the ground. She got up from the table and left crying. And I pulled the guy aside and said, look, can I just give you some advice here? That's the wrong way to go. And he said, well, it really was a dumb decision. And she did act stupid. And I said, well, I'm not doubting that, but let me point out something to you. Who's stupider, the one who made the stupid decision or the fool that married her? He goes, what? Well, if she's so stupid, how stupid are you to marry a stupid woman? That's what it means in Ephesians when it says, love your wife as yourself. You're taking care of yourself. How do I look good if I point out what a fool I've been to marry a stupid woman? How does a woman look good if she points out what an idiot her husband is? Well, you're the idiot that married him. I mean, how do you win? You don't. So honor each other. It just makes sense. It's what love is all about. Now, encouraging his wife to grow as an individual and provide time for her to pursue her personal interests, this mattered a lot when we had small kids, didn't it? Yes, there were times, days where I would meet you at the door when you got home and said, you know, tag, you're it. (laughs) (laughs) I need some time and some space, and I need to, to interact with some other females. And that was important to me, and you were very good to give that to me. That's very helpful. You want balance. Um, in your life. And it's important to be aware of where your spouse is emotionally so that you can help them. Let his wife into the interior of his life. What do we mean by that? It means more than one sentence, one word answers to questions over dinner. How was work today? Good. How are you feeling? Fine. What are you doing the rest of the week? Nothing. Wow. What a great discussion. Okay. That is not letting your wife into the interior of your life. A little more explanation. Can you expound on that, please? And guys, talking to our wives about how we're feeling about things lets them in, and they need to know that. They need to know that we value their opinion in our lives. And then following through on commitments. If I don't want my wife to nag, well, then I ought to follow through on the things I promised to do. Hey, I hate it when she keeps reminding me of this stuff. Well, then just get it done. 
man, the last service, all the women said amen. Here, everybody's just sitting quiet, okay. But, but yeah, there we go, got an amen over there. But I'm setting myself up for this one because there are things I promise to get done and then I don't do them. Well, that doesn't cut it. And guys, if I want my wife to respect me, then I need to be a man of my word. And so do you. And finally, here are eight magic words that women have told me over and over again. They will die if they ever hear their husband say this. I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. Now, there were some amens on that one, okay. But listen to this. I have met, I can't tell you how many times people have come to my office and they're experiencing marital difficulties and they've been married 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and the wife has said, the wife tells me, I have never heard him admit he was wrong. Never in 15 years. Never in 20 years. Ever. Now let me just say something to the men here. If you've been married 15 years and you've never admitted you're wrong, you're wrong. That's wrong. You are not perfect. I am not perfect. There is no way on God's green earth that you have never made a mistake in 15 years. And it's time to man up and to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Your wife needs to hear that from time to time. You want her to say she's proud of you? Men need to hear that too, women. But turnabout's fair play. When you do stuff that isn't worthy of being proud of, you need to apologize and say that was wrong. And guys, we're wrong sometimes. And that's how that woman can compliment us and help us. And they need to know we value them. Now, if you flip back over to the front side real quickly, let me wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. That little diagram, there's arrows kind of forming a circle. We're complementary. Women want love. Men want respect. Women want emotional responsiveness. Men want physical affection. And sometimes it's just this standoff where the woman isn't giving any physical affection, so the man isn't giving her any emotional responsiveness. He's mad at her. She's mad at him. Well, what do you do when you're locked in this standoff? Men, this is where men go first. That was the last blank at the bottom of the last side. Some of you were were mad because I didn't fill it out yet. That's what it means. Men go first. Why? Because the scripture we read, husbands, you're the leader in the home. What does a leader do? A leader goes first. If we need to get some counseling, let's go get some counseling. Men, let's step up. Let's do it. Need to apologize? Let's apologize. There's a standoff. There hasn't been enough romance. There hasn't been enough physical affection. Men, take the first move. Plan a romantic evening. And I just got to tell you, this is the way God wants it. Because then we're thinking of others more importantly than ourselves. And I think that's the key, is thinking of your spouse's needs, um, elevating them above your own needs. And that's hard. Um, it's, it's very, very difficult. And if um, you pray about it, God will give you the strength to do that. But um, you don't want to get into that standoff where nobody's willing to give. It takes sacrifice. And again, we started out with this takes time and effort. Don't be angry when this takes time and effort. Um, you would tell anybody else that. Well, your, your relationships in your life take time and effort. So you're going to have to do it yourself. This doesn't happen uh, without being intentional. And so it's going to take prayer but it's going to take sacrifice, and it's uh, relentless. It just keeps going on. So um, it has to be a matter of prayer. 
Now, Christians are pretty tough on this, and we're pretty clear on this, and the Bible's very straight on this. But here's the good thing. Even though it's hard and it'll take sacrifice, the Bible promises that you'll get help. We believe, and we teach it here all the time, when you come to Jesus and surrender your life to him, he places his Holy Spirit inside of you, and his Holy Spirit will empower you and change you from the inside out. He'll give you love that you didn't have before. He'll give you forgiveness you didn't have before. He'll give you sensitivity that you lack. He will, because he created you to love the spouse that he brought you. And so you'll get help. All we need to do is ask him, and we're going to do that right now. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, your word is clear on this, that marriages are your plan for families of holding them together, that you created us male and female on purpose, and you know the difficulties that are inherent in that. But Heavenly Father, I pray that you will make clear to each one of us that when you created us to fill gaps, that you'll give us the strength to get that done. In a moment of silence now, if the Lord spoke to you about some area in your life that needs to change, would you say, Lord, I heard you? Just say, Lord, I heard you. And if you give me the strength, I'll change. Oh God, I pray that we will not run from hard teaching. I pray that we will not embrace everything that our culture says about me first, me first. Life's too short, just be happy. We're going to live forever in your presence. And you've given us these opportunities right now in this world to learn what love is all about. I pray that we'll learn the true meaning of sacrifice and the joy that comes when we put others' needs ahead of our own. I pray that you'll help us understand more about Jesus and the way he loved us by putting into practice our love for the people you've placed in our lives right now. And most of all, Lord, I pray that we'll just confess our sins to you every single day and say, God, forgive me when I blow it. Show me how to start again. Oh God, I just pray for strong marriages in this room. I pray that you'll show us how to rescue marriages that are in trouble. I pray, Lord, you'll show us how to protect marriages so they won't fall apart. I pray that you teach us all something about love and forgiveness. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.